Thanks, Jen. Thanks for reading. Um, again, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Really grateful to be with you this morning. Um, make sure I'm good to go here. Yep, looking good. I mean, the situation looks good. Not, not, not me, myself. Really glad to be with you. A special welcome to you again. If um, this is your first time streaming with us or one of your first times um, being part of what God is doing at Redeemer, we're really grateful to have you here with us. Um, it's interesting, you know, you think about a church as being a space where people can be gathered into. And right now we can't gather into spaces together. So it's really fascinating to think, um, what does it look like to gather together? And if you're entering that space, which can be a little awkward in that this sort of virtual way, just know how grateful that we are to be with you and how much we want to support you in any way we can. Um, if you have a need or if you have a gift that you want to bring to bear, you're looking to encounter God, wherever you're at, um, we want to figure out together how to engage together and engage with God. So thanks for being here. Also, before I jump in um, to this, uh, talking about this story, I want to say thank you. Um, many of you know that my wife had surgery about a week and a half ago, um, an emergency surgery to remove part of her intestine. And um, just want to say thank you. So many of you have brought us meals and brought us cards and checked in on us and just been so kind. Um, thank you so much. That, that means the world to us to know that we are loved and supported by this community and um, that this is a place where people are loved and supported. I also wanted to say thanks for one, one last thing, which is, um, you know, I don't, I don't know about you if you're a person that, that follows Jesus and likes to keep up with studying the Bible and, or not, um, but it's just I'm, I'm struck by the immense privilege it is this morning to be able to speak to you and with you about what God is saying to us. And that in some ways is so amazing that God would do that. And it's also just amazing that this church has allowed people like me and Tripp and Giorgio and Jen and others to um, have the opportunity to make a living studying that and sharing it with you. And so I'm not sure that I would that I would be doing that to this degree without you. And so thank you um, just for the ability to speak about what God's saying and doing to us together this morning. So thanks. Great to be with you. Um, the other day I was talking to my wife, Sarah, and she was um, reminding me of this time. It was a few years ago, a friend was sharing how um, someone she had known in their kid's class, there was a child with special needs in the class and that that child and, and um, their mom had invited the whole class over for their kid's birthday party. And it turned out that on the day of the party, um, none of the kids came. None of the parents showed up with gifts. None of the children came to the party. And actually none of the uh, parents of the other chil children in the class even responded to the invitation. And I think it's pretty natural to hear a story like that and think a couple things. First, it's natural to think, what is the deal with these parents? You know, like, what are, what are their priorities? What are they trying to get across? This is so unkind. Um, and that's fair. And that's a natural thing to think is to kind of go to a place of, of judgment about these other parents. Um, but also you might be the kind of person that thinks, oh, that poor kid, it was their birthday and none of their classmates showed up and to, to begin to feel very sad for them. And those are really natural responses and appropriate. Um, but I think part of what's so special about the God of the Bible 
and the way that he talks about himself and talks about the world is he drills down deeper than that. And I imagine God's response to us, if we had not attended that party, taken our kids, would have been something like, do you know that you just missed the most amazing party? I mean, I, it's, it's hard to imagine a birthday party that would probably would have been more special for the, for the person being celebrated and the children and their parents to be there that was probably free of many of the entrapments of, of our kids' statusy birthday parties. I feel like God would look at us in that thing and say, the parents and kids who didn't come to that party are the ones who missed the absolute best thing. And this morning, as we turn to this text and the story that Jen just read for us, thank you so much for reading, Jen. We have God sort of saying the same thing to us, saying that God is doing something. He's inviting us into this kingdom, into this party. And we're going to miss out if we can't get over ourselves. If we allow things to be more important to us than what God is doing, then we'll miss out on the best thing. And, and really what I, I think what God wants to get across to us in the story is that faith in God means getting over yourself. It's an invitation to get over yourself. And that sounds heavy, but it's, it's freedom. So the story that, 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 that Jen just read, basically what happens is Jesus is eating at someone's house. He's eating at the house of the religious elites of his day. And they're watching him and trying to figure out what's going on with him. They're threatened by him. They're resentful toward him. They, they have a sense that he's um, suspicious to them. And so they're watching him closely. Luke re records that in the passage. But Jesus is also watching them and he doesn't need any help figuring out who they are. Because when they sit down, he notices that they're all trying to take the seats of honor at the table as they recline and lay down at this low table. They all want the seat of honor, and he notices that. And this is the Sabbath meal on Friday night, and everyone would have been thinking in this, in this religious context, ah, this is the time where we're thinking about this kingdom that God's bringing. What's it going to be like when God comes and makes all things new? And this one guy says, that's why he says it. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And really what he's saying is, you know, isn't this what it's going to be like? Just a bunch of people. We get it. We understand what's going on. We're sitting at the table eating bread. And meanwhile, Jesus, who is the king of that kingdom, they don't understand that, is looking around and he's like, this doesn't look like the kingdom at all. Now, imagine that was you. Imagine you're the person um, who realizes that these guys are so off the mark. How would you want to let them know? How would you respond to them? What would you tell them? Now, Jesus is too wise just to say straight up what's going on because they're so suspicious of him that they would immediately be offended. And they, in their offense, they would refuse to open their heart to him and learn. And that's why he tells them the story. He says, a guy invited everyone to the party. Everyone got the Evite. They replied yes. They said yes. I'm bringing. I'm bringing a friend. I'll bring the pico de gallo, right? And then so when the guy gets all the the party ready, the day of the party, the food is done, the grill's cooling down, the decorations are hung, the playlist is ready to go, the fire pit set up, the drinks are on ice, as they might say, the grill is hot, the drinks are cold, the pool is luke. Suddenly, no one could make it. 
and they each gave reasons which you heard one had a field they had just bought one just bought a bunch of oxen classic reason for missing a party um and one had just gotten married and each of the things that they have to do are important to them because they're directly tied to their status wealth and power what they had to do is more important than showing up to this party because they have to attend to their own standing in the world. And so what the guy does is he responds. He says, I want you to go invite these two different kinds of people. I want you to go invite people who are disabled in some way. And then when those are all brought in, there's still room. He says, I want you to go out to the country and find the rednecks and find them and bring them in. Folks that are out there living in the country, the folks that are disabled and folk, good country folks, those are people that we don't um, value in this, in this culture, right? Bring them in. And the reason why they come in is because they are dependent on others or because they can't take control, control of their status. And what Jesus is trying to get across is that the determining factor in who came to this man's party, i.e. the kingdom of God, and who didn't come to this party, the kingdom of God, is that some people had more important things to do and some didn't, full stop. It's no secret to many that I love Walt Disney World. It truly is the happiest place on earth. And I would love to talk at length with you about why that is the case and why it is so sad that it's closed right now and that haunts me when I wake up in the middle of the night. But one of the best things about Walt Disney World is kids at Walt Disney World encountering characters. Um, just out walking around, you might find Mickey or Donald or something like that. But what is most special and precious is when little girls in princess dresses encounter Princess Tiana or Princess Ariel or Cinderella at Disney. They wait in this line and they finally get the chance. They walk up to them. They're wearing the matching dress and they are entranced. It is beautiful because for that little girl in that moment, nothing more important could possibly be happening. If Princess Jasmine invited them to tea, they wouldn't need to pray about it. They wouldn't need to decide uh, to check their calendar and decide if they had time, they would go because there's nothing more important or beautiful or big than that moment. Um, there's a, I think I heard this from a pastor named Tim Keller up in New York, but he, he, he said, I think it was him, that there's two kinds of people when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's the poor in spirit and there's the middle class in spirit. And the kingdom of God, the good life, eternal life, true joy with God, those that come in and they experience God to the full, that's only for those who are poor in spirit and don't have better options. The middle class in spirit are like the middle class in, in real life. They will come if they don't have something better to do. They keep their options open. And faith in Jesus means getting over that middle class spirit. It's like Gladys Knight in, uh, in, the, in the Pips, Midnight Train to Georgia, great song. Uh, it's on my daughter's iPad. We wear it out together. iPad, iPod, excuse me. And uh, she says, you know, she's leaving the world she's known and going with this man back to Georgia on the Midnight Train. And the reason why, she says, I would rather live in his world 
than live without him in mind. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to get over ourselves so that we can live with, with him in his world instead of without him in ours. And so what do we need to get over? In thinking about these people and why they didn't come to this party, a, a couple things came to mind. And the first of them is I think we need to get over our independence. We need to get over our self-sufficiency. Um, that's constantly a field that we have to tend. We often structure our lives, some of us exclusively, I know this is such a motivating part of my life, is to structure our lives in a way where we don't have to feel dependent on other people and so that we can maintain a sense of control. That if things go well for me, it's because of me. If things go badly for me, it's because of me. And that is a field that we always have to be constantly checking on and making sure that it's bearing the fruit that we want. And it's funny, throughout the Bible, all, all through this book, God is telling us that we're poor and forgotten by the world. And that when we forget that, what we need to be doing is connecting with people that we actually know who are actually poor and forgotten. And the reason why God calls us to be with the poor and the forgotten is not necessarily because they need your wealth or your connections, though you always have something to bring, a sacrifice to bring to a relationship. But the reason why God tells us to be with them is to learn how and remember how to be poor and to be forgotten. Who around you in your life reminds you how to be dependent, shows you how to be weak. I don't like to feel dependent and probably neither do you, but God's saying, unless we get over that, we're never going to come in. And so where are you telling God right now that you don't need him, that you don't need his help, that you're doing fine on your own? And how is what is happening right now with Corona and all that stuff, the, the quarantine, there's so much legitimate pain but how, how is in that, if you, if you can begin to squint and to trust God enough to look for it, is there an invitation in there for you to give up your sense of, of, of independence, to get over your independence, to find people who are going to teach you to be weak? Because dependence actually is this beautiful strength in Jesus's world. Um, I'm going to brag on my guy, Mike Avery, for a minute. Mike and Sarah and MJ, the Averys are part of our church, have been for several years. And uh, in December, we did this thing at church called Two Tunics, where uh, if folks had something to offer, they, they could give it up and say that if you had, a, you know, Jesus says, if you have two shirts, share with one has none. So if you got an extra shirt, let us know. And if you need a shirt, let us know. And what was beautiful is that Mike had a need and he let it be known. He said, I'm looking for lawn care equipment. Could use a mower, could use a weed eater, could use a blower. And, uh, and so some folks offered those things and it was beautiful because they had extra and he took them. And what he and Sarah, his wife did was they went and they started Hope Lawn Care. And Hope Lawn Care is obviously a way, Mike's a firefighter, he's a hardworking guy. They're, they're an incredible family, so involved, so much energy. And, uh, but he started Hope Lawn Care, not just to provide for his family, but he started to employ folks needing employment, and needing mentorship um, who wouldn't have maybe this opportunity 
otherwise. He took what he received and used it for those who needed. And Mike's willingness to ask, to operate from a place of dependence and openness actually helped other people who either weren't asking or weren't in the room to ask because dependence leads to blessing in God's kingdom. So how is God providing opportunity for you to embrace dependence and to get over independence? Second thing that came to mind when I was reading this passage is I think God may be calling us to get over holding on to our pain, to allowing our pain to be the most important part of who we are. I was watching The Office last night with Sarah, and it was the episode, if you've ever seen in season two, where Michael Scott burns his foot in the George Foreman grill because he likes to wake up to the, to the smell of crackling bacon. And um, Dwight Schrute, when he hears that Michael is, is hurt, he jumps in his car and drives out of the parking lot, but he drives into a telephone pole and he hits his head and has a really bad concussion. And Michael and Dwight end up going to the, to the hospital. And Michael's foot is burned from this George Foreman grill and wrapped in bubble wrap. And Dwight is having legitimate like head trauma. And as Dwight is being checked on, Michael says to the doctor, I mean, doctor, which is worse, a foot injury or a head injury? And the doctor's like, a head injury. And there's this amazing thing where Michael refuses to get over his pain, his foot pain enough to really be there. And you see him struggling to be there for Dwight and his pain. Often what we do is we rehearse over and over again in, the, in our heart and in our mind and our thoughts, the ways that we've been hurt, the things that we don't have and feel that we need. For some of us, that looks like we're constantly critical. It's easy for us to express what needs to change, but often we don't have any positive vision for what could happen or any delight in what's currently happening. And our pain can give us a real sense of importance that we matter, that there's something that needs to be accomplished in the world. Um, and that we matter because so-and-so won't recognize that I was right and they were wrong. Or until they apologize or change, I'm gonna keep living this way. And that is a yoke of oxen, y'all, that has to constantly be fed. And the hay always needs to be taken out and refreshed so that it can continue to live. And feeling like you're, you were wronged is so powerful because it comes from a genuine place of pain that probably wasn't your fault. But feeling wronged or holding on to a resentment can't make you matter. Only God can make you matter. God already made you matter. And coming to Jesus by faith can actually bring you to a place where you can long for people to change, where you can long for circumstances to change, to want it to your fullest degree and to desire it without demanding that it happen. Desire without demand. I've had a great opportunity to talk with a dear friend about this this week, about what are our desires that we're demanding people to change? And where can we give that demand up to God and keep the desire? So do you only have critique and discontentment? That's your middle class in spirit coming out. There's always something more important and it's your critique, right? And what's kind of been cool, um, you know, the, the church is like a classic place where everyone has thoughts on how it should be and, and that's totally valid. Um, but during this time when we can't be together and like we're all just trying to figure it out, there have been so few complaints to like ministry staff 
I think because we're in a place where we're just grateful that something is happening, not because we have the slickest, most amazing setup, just because we're grateful that something is happening. We may have desires, but we're not demanding them. And how can we make that a way of life? And the last thing, um, speaking of, of church and all that, that I think Jesus may be calling us to get over in this is getting over existing for ourselves. Um, I think about particularly the man in this passage who had just gotten married and so then he felt like he couldn't come, right? Because he had to tend to that relationship. Um, and this is a question for our Redeemer folks. Um, who does our church exist for? Maybe it's easier to answer this way. Who do we not exist for? I don't mean like stated on the paper, but like in the ways that we do life, the way that we construct the life that we have together. Who do we not exist for? And this moment we're living through really gives us the opportunity to wrestle with that question because it's not like a bunch of faces in the room on Sunday and you see them and you don't know who was there. You don't. So you have this sense of like, well, I don't know. Anyone could have been there. But right now, every relationship has to be totally intentional or else it goes away. If you're not intentionally reaching out or responding to someone right now, you're out of relationship with them because you're not going to see them. And who in our city are cut off from us as a church right now? Because we don't have the, the fallback of like, maybe they'll just walk through the door. There's no door for them to walk through. Where is God pointing us to new doors with new people behind them? Where we say, yes, my relationships here are important and they're vital, but they're, I'm also being called to this bigger thing. And all these ways of control, independence, uh, existing for ourselves, uh, holding on to our pain, all these ways of control, Jesus is inviting us to get over them and to get over ourselves. And here, here's why we should. We should get over ourselves because when we do, love is waiting for us on the other side. There's this American astronaut, his name is Frank Borman, and he was the commander of the Apollo 8 mission. I heard this on This American Life. I don't just read and find this stuff out on my own. And Apollo 8 was the first crewed mission to the moon. And it was the first time actually any humans had left Earth's orbit. And so they go and it's kind of like a dry run for the moon landing. They went and they circled the moon and they came back. The funny thing about uh, Frank Borman, the commander of that mission, is he had absolutely no interest in space. Like he was, he didn't care at all about space. He was not one of those guys, like he said, Jim Lovell, who was on that, that would look up at the stars and just wonder at the magnitude of it all. He didn't care. He said, space, science fiction still bores me. He is 90 years old and he orbited the moon. And he said, well, the person said, what was it like to be weightless? He was like, it was interesting for about 30 seconds. But one thing interested Frank Borman on that trip to the moon. They went around the moon, they were in the darkness of the moon. And as they came around the other side, they saw the earth. Maybe you've seen the image that they took, the, the earth rising over the moon. And he said, it was amazing. It was like this marble and you could cover it up with your thumbnail. And that was what entranced him, that, that drew him, that he felt his heart longing toward. Because he said, the dearest things in life were back on earth. My family, my wife, my parents, 
for me, that was the high point of the flight from an emotional standpoint. Life and love was waiting for him in that place. The high point of being in space was seeing the earth. And he said the contrast between the color on the earth and the totally bleak and dead moon was striking. In a sense, that is, is how God sees us. That he's going to come around that death, that space of death, because he's drawn to us, but also how he's calling us to see him, that, the, that this gray and dusty place is not worth fixating on when we can have love. The thing that Jesus came to repair in the world, the place that he starts is our absolute unwillingness to accept love from God. There's something in us that just won't. We can't give up that, that independence. We can't give up that pain. We can't give up our own um, status and power to accept his love. And Jesus came to us from a foreign place. And it's funny, I think about him enduring what must have been excruciating evenings with overly suspicious, self-righteous, churchy people like this dinner because he wants them to come to the party. He wants them to recognize that everything they have is, isn't worth it, not to scold them and say, what's your deal? Why are your priorities wrong? Or to think, oh, poor God, he's not gonna have anyone at his party, but to say, why won't you come in? He calls us to lay aside all the ways that we wanna make ourselves look important. And y'all, we're like children dressing in our parents' clothes and pretending that we're so grown up and important. And Jesus is calling us from that to find delight, true delight in him. A delight that makes you want to sacrifice for someone else because you realize it's all worth giving up. In a sense, Jesus really is like Gladys Knight coming to our world because he would rather live in our world than live without us in his. That is his heart toward us. And if you're a parent, um, even if you're not, you can probably connect with us in some way, or you realize suddenly and horrifically that you've been looking at your phone while your child is dancing in front of you. And if your response is, Ugh, I did it again. What kind of parent am I? I really need to get better. You're your middle class in spirit is showing because you're still stuck on you. And if you turned and said to the dance, you'd be free to see the beauty. And that is God's invitation to you today is to turn from yourself, get over yourself to the dance, to the beauty, to the party, even if you just turn for a second and say, God, I don't know if this is real. I don't know if this is true, but I'm gonna try. You will see his face and his delight and he will make you want more. God wants you to be free so that you can come to his party because he wants to celebrate with you. What do you need to get over to get there? Because love is waiting. Let's pray.